Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer Herlin Riley. Right out of the music-rich New Orleans area, he's a cat with plenty of stories and reflections on a long life lived in the jazz world. He just released his 2016 CD called New Direction, and it's getting received very well by the public and on the charts. In the beginnings, he used to hear his family play music from his crib, so he's always had the music brain. In the professional world, he got a lot of experience being and Ahmad Jamal's band and Wynton Marsalis's band. He also gigged with the likes of Dr. John, Harry Connick, George Benson, and many others. He's also a teacher and loves giving students his wisdom. Herlin has a great story, so please dig this interview, my friends. Well, yeah, thank you for calling me and thank you for your interest in, in me and my little project. Yeah, hey, thank you for taking some time out for me. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, no problem at all. I'm going to go ahead and dive right in here and ask. I know that you're busy. I, I saw it on your website, but give me, from your own perspective, a little snapshot of what's been going on lately with you. I just finished finished touring with uh, Dr. John. I was working with Amar Jamal for for years, for, for a few years until he retired. So now I'm um, I'm basically uh, basically focusing on my new project, trying to you know just get that up off the ground. I'm also doing a project with. Uh, Two other drummers from New Orleans, Jason Marcellus and uh, Shannon Powell, and we have a project we call uh, New Orleans Groove Masters, and we're going over to Switzerland to do that uh, at the end of this month. You know, between my my, my little my various projects with, with different players and different artists, I'm, I'm still just trying to keep putting one foot in front of the other one and keep keep eating. In the vein of what's going on, your new 2016 album, New Direction. Give me an idea of. What went into this album and how you feel about it? Well, I feel great about it. That's that's number one. I feel I really really feel fine, you know, wonderful about the album and and how it's being received. I'm uh, I'm, I'm more than elated with, with you know with that. Uh, it took a, took a while to put it all together. I actually recorded it back in 2014 at the end of 2014 and uh, in December of 2014 and we, we kind of sitting on the shelf for for a year and you know in the process of getting it all put together finally that it, you know when it came out in february um it's been well received and most of most of the material that that's on is, is original material stuff that I, I wrote over the past two years or so that i, I you know that i kind of you know put put those those pieces of music together and uh there's two tunes that's you know by Emmett coin on the record as well and one by by my mentor, Mr. Danny Barker. Overall, I had I had actually recorded 13 tunes for that particular CD, but it was too long, so I, I had to cut three of them out. I'm very very happy with the effort, and you know, happy with the with the musicians that that, that played on it with me because they they did brought the music, it brought my ideas to life. That's perfect, man. Let me let me ask you this. I'm going to go back in your life here to growing up in New Orleans. Talk to me about your childhood and how you got. So into music and more specifically into jazz. I I came from a New Orleans family and a New Orleans musical family, and there are a lot of New Orleans musical families here in New Orleans. And um, actually, my family um, were, were the Lasties. They all all the musicians are of that family. They are now deceased, but um, they, they they left an indelible mark on, my, on me and my life and over the years. And, and so when I was actually an infant, I was primarily raised in my grandmother's house. And being being as though you know, being such, being in my grandparents' house, my uncles, they would they would come to to their parents' house because she had a piano and stuff. My grandmother always had a piano at the house, so they would always come to the house and rehearse. And in, in rehearsing, I got to hear the music 
firsthand as a as a baby. They would actually roll my crib into the room where they were rehearsing at, and that would kind of keep me quiet, would kind of pacify me. The music was pacifying me as a child, as an infant. So I got to hear the music, and I got you know very very early on. You know, one of the first tunes I heard was like Sister Sadie and Moaning and you know, you know, Odd Blakey and that kind of stuff. So I got, I got to hear that very, very early in my life. And so I I was always connected to jazz music. I, I never, it was never foreign to me. The the, the nuances or the feel of the groove of jazz was never, never, ever foreign to me. Also, uh, the fact that my grandfather, his name was Frank Lassie, he, he, he was born in 1902, and he, he was actually one of the musicians who was with Louis Armstrong in 1913 in the Waves Home. He actually taught me how to play that early, early New Orleans running style, you know, that kind of march kind of style, or street beat, or, as we call it. He showed me that style very, very early on in my life. He actually taught it to me at the dinner, t- at the breakfast table, using butter knives, beat out these rhythms for me on the table, and he would kind of challenge me to, to do them, and I would try to do them, and I could kind of almost play the rhythms and kind of that kind of way, but... He would always laugh because I'd never really get the nuance of how and the, the, the really note and how 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 he played the attitude how he played it. He would kind of always laugh at me, you know, you know, show me the rhythm and I tried and he laughed. Oh, quack, quack, he, <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. But here it is again. Try it again. I would. That was a very very important um, lesson in my life and to learn that to learn that real early early style of playing, almost the, like the ragtime style. I learned to do that very, very early, and it served me well because I got to go to London with a show called One More Time, which was a 1920s musical based in New Orleans, and uh, we went to London. We, I stayed there six months doing the show, and in doing so, I got to hear and meet a lot of, a lot of great musicians from New York. I hadn't gone to New York in 1981. I hadn't been there yet. You know, So being in London, I got to hear go to Ronnie Scott's every night and check out these different musicians who were playing, who were coming to town either on, on, at the beginning of the tour or the, at the end of the tour. That was a very, very um, crucial time in my life as far as my development and as far as my meeting and associating with different musicians. Why was it the drums? At the age of three, you pick up the sticks. Why was that the first instrument? Well, because they were, they were, the, they were available. Drums were available. And, and you know, it, it's, I'm a natural drummer, man. I'm very, very natural. And... I didn't even use the sticks at first, man. I, I would have my, the Quaker Oats wrist box. I would put them in between my legs and make like bongos when I was a kid. My drums, and then I would I would get my grandmother's pots, and you know, they would, you know, the, the, the top of the, the uh, pot tops would be my cymbals, and I would get different sized pots and buckets and stuff. And make my own. I would make up instruments to play. I would make up drums around the house. The drums chose me. I didn't really choose them. They were always there, and it was always I could always play them. You know, that was always a part of my life. Also during that time, well, when I was very, very young, when I was 12 years old, I, I received a trumpet from my Uncle Melvin. Uh, Melvin Lasky was my uncle, and he played, he lived in New York, he had played with Willie Bobo, he played with uh, Aretha Franklin, he played with King Curtis, <clears throat> Arnett Coleman, he was uh, a professional musician, and he was my my mentor, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be like him. And so I begged him and begged him and begged him to send me a trumpet. So he did, when I was 12 years old, he sent me a trumpet, and I began to play the trumpet through, through you know, my elementary school years, and then high, junior high, and then high school, and then I got a scholarship to go to college playing the trumpet. And so during those, my school years, although I could play the drums, that was my was not my main focus. My main focus was, was the trumpet. 
but I could naturally play the drums. And so, you know, when I would be in, in band rehearsals in high school and we would take a break, I would go over to the drummers and I could I could always play those things that the drummers couldn't do. For instance, like one of those Art Blakey press rolls. I could always do that. That was one of the things my grandfather taught me. Most drummers in high school bands, all the roles that they played, they played open roles, like military open kind of roles. And so I could do this press roll, and I would challenge the drummers to do that. None of them could do it. So as a result, they would show me different other other, other things about the drums, like this is a flam, this is a, a rat in the queue, or this is a, a five-stroke roll or seven-stroke roll or whatever. And none of those things I knew. I, I didn't know. I didn't have any idea about the rudiments, you know, the rudiments of drumming. Although I could play the 26 rudiments that you know that, that people who are kind of classically trained they study. I had no connection to that stuff. So in high school, the, the drummers would kind of show me these things because I, I challenged them in another way on the drums. My, my main focus was the trumpet, and because of my being a trumpet player, I, I got to understand how how the you know, mel- you know, understand melodies and form, and also harmony. As it turned out, as a being now a professional musician, a professional, professional drummer, I still have a connection with the trumpet and and with the piano, where I can write and you know and, and compose music. So obviously, the world stage has been your educational facility. But when you were in college, what did you learn in a formal educational environment? Well, I didn't stay in college very very long. I I, I went to Mississippi Valley State. And coming from New Orleans, you know, when I went to Mississippi, that was a very, very, you know, very slow for me. Mississippi Valley State is in the Delta, is in the Delta, Mississippi. is It's like cotton fields. It's all the cotton fields and, you know, wide open spaces. And coming from New Orleans, you know, New Orleans is so lively and there's so much going on. There's always a party going on. There's like second line parades going on. There's street parades. There's always these festivals and things going on. When I got to college, that, that environment, as a musician, it wasn't. It didn't suit me at all. So I didn't. I only stayed a semester, and I came back home to, to Southern University in New Orleans. And, and as a result, I, then I started playing gigs on Bourbon Street. And eventually, I kind of, you know, I dropped out of school and started working as a professional musician. That was primarily also because I was married too. I got married very, very early in my life. I was 18 years old when I married my wife. As a result, you know, I was able to start playing gigs and start working in, on Bourbon Street in New Orleans here, earning a living as a professional musician. So my college days were very, very short. So let me ask you, and from, from the years of 84 to 87, you just mentioned you were with Ahmad Jamal. 82 to 87, yes. I was with okay. Jamal. What did you learn from your association with him? What was it that you got from playing with him on a regular basis? Well, one thing I learned from him is how to... You know, I watched it, and watching him, he always played with intensity. He always played with a, a command of his instrument. He played each and every time like it was like it was a performance. If we were rehearsing with just just ourselves in, in a room rehearsing, or if there was ten people in the room, or ten thousand, he would always played with the same intensity, the same intent, and the same commitment to to to, to play, to you know, to executing his the pieces that he wanted to do on the music. That, that's the primary thing I got from him, to always approach the music with a seriousness and with, with intensity. Even I play around a little bit, you know, that, but there's inside, there's a seriousness that's going on in there. There's a focus that's always in place. And so I think I got that from Ahmad Jamal because, he, you know, he was the first professional jazz musician that I'd worked with on that level. I worked with Al Hurt before that and, um, you know, Danny Barker and around here in New Orleans, but 
you know, but to, but to go on the world stage, and, and I began to travel with Elijah Jamal, just to be on the world stage with him, that was the thing I picked up most from him. You know, his, his commitment to playing and the intensity that level that he always played with. And then you played with a lot of other folks like Marcus Roberts, Dr. John, Harry Connick, George Benson, the list goes on. What did you get from playing with so many people that had so many years and mileage in the jazz world? You know, once I started investigating and playing with these people, they all they all had the same kind of commitment to, to excellence, you know, for lack of a better word. You know, they were always committed to, to playing, you know, music as best they could at a high level. In, in order to do that, you have to practice, and you have to have a commitment to, to your instrument. And you have, and, and also, I learned from, from working with those guys that every each and every one of them had their own voice uh, on their instrument. And as as a professional musician, I, that's that's what the, one of the things I've tried to do, to develop over the years. You know, to develop my own particular voice on the drums. You know, it's, it's very interesting that you you know you look you listen to the piano. The piano has the same eighty eight keys, but you can you can hear one Bob Monk and you know it's him. Or you can hear you know hear Oscar Peterson or, or Duke Ellington or some you know and you can identify their sound just by their, you know, their approach to the instrument. And so, and, and the drums are pretty much, you know, I, I find the same kind of thing with the drums. You know, I hear, you can hear Al Blakey, and I know him as opposed to hearing, listening to Elvin Jones or, or the Max Roach or, or Buddy Rich. You know, everybody has, each one of these musicians and artists have developed their own voice and their own sound on the instrument. And that's the thing that I've, I've tried to, to uh, adopt as well to, to develop my own my own sound and my own voice. You know, Winston used to always say to me, "Man, it's always better to be a number one yourself than a number two somebody else." So that's one of the things I, I consciously um, try to to develop over the years. Being with Wynton Marsalis and his band had to be a big experience too. How did that happen? It was several several things that that happened. First of all, my first encounter with Winston was. We were playing with a group with, with Danny Barker. Danny Barker formed, formed a band called the Fairview Baptist Church Christian Band, and it was this band was made up of all children with children from like eight to eighteen. And Winston came in, and um, we, we never knew each other, and none of the kids knew each other. We just started playing music together. You know, we kind of introduced ourselves and kind of, but it was mostly like like the slow, slow, the slow camp that Danny Barker, you know, had formed with this band and so we all started playing together and and um so that was my first time I was playing the trumpet at the time. And Winston and I had a dispute that, you know, you know, talking about being in that band. He said he said, Man, I didn't see you in the band. I was, I was like, I didn't see you either when we were children. I didn't see you either. We both disputed you know, we were kind of disputed the fact whether whether or not we were there. And finally someone came up with a picture that showed both of us there together. So that that, that ended that argument. And then later on, as I said, when we were were in London, I got to meet all these different artists. And one of the artists I met at Ronnie Scott's was was, uh, was Art Blakey. And when Art Blakey came to Ronnie Scott's, Winston and Bramble was playing with him. So during this time, I was doing this this 1920s musical one more time. So they came, Bramble came to the show and heard me playing this, this musical. And I got to come back and told Winston, you know, about the musical that I was playing and so forth. So I went to to to, uh, to uh, Ronnie Scott that night, and I, I met Winston, you know. And this is the first time I met him as an adult. We, we both had a reputation. He knew who I was, and I knew I certainly knew who he was. 
he he was definitely making noise on the, on the jazz scene at that time. Of course, I knew who he was because also I knew I, I worked with his dad, old with Ellis Marcellus, for years, and um, before that with other with other New Orleans artists. You know, Ellis and I were sidemen or uh, I guess associates with other with other New Orleans artists, like or with Teddy Riley and Ellis would always talk about his son to musicians, um, Branford and Winton. And so finally, when I met them in in um, in London. You know, I already knew who he was, and he knew who I was, that kind of thing. Later, after that, um, Winton saw me playing with Ahmad Jamal at Fat Tuesdays. He saw me playing with Ahmad at Fat Tuesdays. He heard me, you know, heard me playing a whole other style of music. He, he, you know, he heard, he heard me playing that. Then later, later, even even after that, we were, I, I was doing this gig at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival with his dad, with Ellis. It was a trio. It was myself and Reginald Veal, the bassist. And um, so, and Winter came and sat in. And when he sat in, he liked the feel of the music. He liked, he, you know, he really liked the feel of the music with Reginald and myself. And um, about a year later or so, um, he hired Reginald Veal, like December of 87. And then in, in February of 88, he hired me. And, um, and so he brought both of us into the band. And... Um, I think his music changed after that, you know, after that particular encounter. Yeah, so that's how that's pretty much how it, how it happened. Yeah, Jeff Tane Watts left the band in February, and he, he called me. You played all over the place, Lincoln Center. You played at a lot of hallowed institutions and a lot of places all over the world. Does it ever lose its intrigue or its luster for you to play in, in places like that? I am so, so forever grateful to live a childhood dream. I'm living a childhood dream. I've never wanted to do anything else other than play music. Um, this, and and I'm, I'm living the dream of playing music. So every opportunity for me to play is a privilege. I don't take anything lightly. I don't take anything for granted. It, so it doesn't, no, it never loses its luster for me. I'm, I'm so grateful to, to have raised a family, you know, playing music. I've never had another job in my life. You know, I've always, music has always been my source of income. And it gives me the most joy. It brings the most joy and pleasure to me, you know, when I'm playing music. So I don't take any of this, any, any of this for granted at all. I am very, very grateful to for the opportunity to, to to live a life doing something that I I really, really enjoy doing, and you know, manage to make a living at it. So I don't, I really don't take it for granted. So you know, I I've I played, I've played, you know, I've played. I play on the street sometimes when I come home to New Orleans. If there's a street band or something playing, I may just join in with the guys and just play on the street, you know, because I, that's what I enjoy doing. I'll play in like little dive clubs or something just to go and check out and you know just play with the guys because I enjoy doing that. Or you know, I've played at the White House, I've played at the Kennedy Center, or the Carnegie Hall, I played you know all those all these places, and I try to play you know taking that page out of Lamar Jamal's book. I try to play each and every one of those gigs. You know, with the same intensity, the same approach, and the same seriousness, because I'm very, you know, it's, it's a privilege. I'm, I'm I'm living a privileged life to 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 do what I enjoy doing, to make a living at it. Beautiful. And you've had a lot of great teachers in your life, and you yourself are a teacher. Tell me what your philosophy is with your students when you teach. When I teach, basically, I I, I never learned the drums as I, as I said earlier through academia. I didn't have a drum teacher growing up, you know, with rudiments and you know those those the regiments that that most drummers have in in their development. My development came as 
in in a practical way. I I started playing the drums in the church. My grandfather my grandfather played in church, so I watched him play. And then when he when he got up from the you know when he got up to, to talk, I sit down and played the drums. You know, at every time every chance I got. Uh, my teaching is it comes basically from a practical perspective. Um, it's the, the, the experiences that I've had and the, and the way that I have, I've learned how to play and to to make the music to understand how to function inside of a particular style of music. You know, when I've I've, I've developed that understanding, and so when I when I teach, I teach people from that perspective. I teach from the, 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 from the practical perspective. You know, these are the, these. You know, I tell people about this is the rhythm that you play for this style of music, and this this is what you play for this style of music. And you have to put the emphasis on this part of the kid versus that other part. You know, for different styles of music. So my teaching comes from a, a practical perspective, and basically, what I one of the things I tell people is that all music starts with rhythm. All the music starts with rhythm. And the rhythm that you play will define the style of the music that you're playing. When I'm teaching, I, I'm, I'm trying to teach from that perspective to teach people how to play the certain rhythms that that would define a particular style. Yes, and how to use, you know, and all the things that you, you know, you, you're doing to do that. I mean, and accomplishing that, you know, how to uh, play, you know, what feels to play, how you how you play a feel in a particular style, when to play the feel, when to, you know, when to play, you know, when to just play time, when to play, you know, interactive, when, how, when, when you play interactive, you know, with, with the people that you're playing with and when, versus when you play, you know, just the time or, you know, so my my, 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 my approach to teaching comes from a, a very practical, from a practical sense. You played with what the world would consider jazz heroes and you're a jazz hero yourself, but who are your jazz heroes? Oh man, my number one jazz heroes are, are my uncles, man. My uncle, my uncle Melvin Lasky. And see, people, people don't, you know, most people would not associate that. But I mean, that those are the people that really touched me and touched me at a, at a point in my life, you know, when I um in, in my in my in my childhood, in my youth, in my development as a baby. I mean, they touched me and they put their hands on me and they they you know they showed me you know they were they were my examples ahead of me because you know. When I when I first met, met my wife, I, and I told her I wanted to be a musician, she's like she she couldn't understand the concept of, of a you know how people become a professional musician. You know, she didn't understand that. So I had these I had these examples in front of me who who of people who who played the music professionally who actually made a living. So they were my they were my my musical heroes basically. My uncle Melvin Lasty, David Lasty, and Walter Poppy Lasty. They were my they were, and I mean most people. Don't know that, but they they are the ones who, t- who put their hands on me, who touched me, who who influenced me, who the, the examples that I saw in front of me, you know, of, of and, and they showed me the possibility of what what could act, what could actually happen if you you know invest in you know in music and, and invest in practicing and learning how to play. So they were the people that, that that most influenced me. Now, as I got older, of course, I started checking out other musicians and other artists, and you know, I started checking out other artists. And I guess one of the one of the people that 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 really really touched me was Ray Charles. Everything everything Ray Charles and, and Louis Armstrong. I can't you know Louis Armstrong of course, you know Louis Armstrong and Ray Charles. These two people, everything they touched seemed like turned to gold with it. Whatever they did, you know they just they just had such a connection, such a spiritual connection to to the music, and um, and that that always moved me. Um, 
I guess those those are the two people I guess who you know of of people who are who are popular artists and popular you know people who are popular that that everyone knows. But those those two people are the, the two people that touch me the most. Let me ask you this: it's just it's a general question, but why do you love jazz? I love music, and jazz is just you know a component you know just one of the music that that allows you the most freedom. The, the most, I, I guess that's why, because it, it has, it, it has, it allows the most freedom. It's still, it's freedom, but with, 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 within a form, within a, within a structure. That's, I love, I love that freedom of, you know, and I love the, uh, the, the conversation, the dialogue of jazz, the, the, the dialogue of playing with other musicians, and you know, to bring the, the, the spirit of different musicians together, and to be able to create music. And I don't know if it's, it's necessarily. You know, jazz as a you know, I just I I would like to say just improvisation of mu- improvisation of music. You know, jazz is is um is a, is a kind of narrow term. Jazz music encompasses so many so many different styles of music, and all the styles that it encompasses are improvisational styles. So you can Im- improvise in Latin. You can improvise stri- in playing straight ahead. You can improvise playing a funk music. You can you know. So I, so I love imp- improvisational music. Let me ask you this: What's the nicest thing a fellow musician has ever said to you? You know, people have told me that they like my like the spirit that I play with, the, the joy that I I, I bring to music. You know, I feel I, I even feel funny even saying that because I never like to toot my own horn. But you know, those are words that people have said to me. Th- that's enough of that. I mean, I just I, I like they they say that I, they like the spirit that I play with and the joy that I, I that I play with, I bring to the music and I you know and they say that sometimes you know. That I, I uplift, uplift the bandstand, you know, in my presence. So I don't like talking about myself like that, but you know, those are things that people said have said to me. Let me ask you this: What's the greatest thing about waking up every day? Oh man, that I wake up. That's the greatest thing. Uh-huh. I wake up. You, <laughs> yeah. You uh-huh. wake up. You know, and I guess that's the most important thing. I, 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 what I've learned over the years is that if you can live your life in peace, I'm, I'm very much at peace. With myself, with my situation, with my with my life, my wife, my family, I'm, I'm at peace with my health. I'm at peace with my relationships with my my extended family members. So the fact is, you know, that's the greatest thing I wake up with. I wake up with, with a sense of peace. And even though, and also not not just also you know not just peace, but I I wake up with with a sense of optimism. You know, I'm optimistic about life. I'm optimistic about. Everything around me, I'm optimistic. Even though it's sometimes, you know, we have hurdles to cross, and you know, there there are trying times. There, there's uh, we we have to face these these uneasy times. But the fact is, if you wake up every day, you have a chance to to do better. And the fact is, when I wake up, I can wake up and say, okay, you know, yesterday was was a little rough, but today is going to be better. And so I live with that that kind of optimism. You're far from being gone in the world of jazz, but you've left such a huge mark up to this point. When the world leans back on the proverbial easy chair and they peel back the layers of jazz history and they come across your name, what do you want them to remember you by, your mark, and what you've left behind? I want them to remember me by the honesty that I've always tried to play with. I've always tried to play with, you know, and I've always tried to give everything, you know, of myself and leave it on the bandstand. I try to approach the music each and every time, like I'm on tomorrow, like, like before, with the same intensity and the same kind of commitment. I want people to, to say, this guy, he, he, you know, he always played with joy. He, he, I always wanted people to, to recognize, I, wanted, I want people to recognize God's grace through me. 
through the light that he's that he's that he's shining on me. That's what I like people to recognize. That's to remember me by. Beautiful. Perlin, hey, thank you for opening up and giving me your story, man. I really appreciate it. But thank you so much for calling, man. I really appreciate you too, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Herlin for his exceptional jazz story and his time. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all all things neon jazz until next time enjoy the music my friends neon jazz